This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message is Becoming, the next big move is Becoming a Prophetic People. Becoming a Prophetic People. And I'd like to just read a couple of scriptures. Revelations 19, verse 10. Now, in the King James Bible, it says, and I fell at his feet and worshiped him. Here, here we see the apostle John. Uh, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there. And Jesus appears to him. And he says, and I fell, uh, or no, not Jesus, an angel appears to him. Or he thinks it's an angel. But we know today it's just one of his brethren. He says, I fell at the feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everybody say that. Say, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, I I love our church. I love what we're doing in the streets. I love what we're doing on a Saturday. I love the fact that we're closing down brothels. I love the fact that we're leading people that have been involved in sin and prostitution to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do that by the word of our prophecy, by the word of our testimony. And the testimony of Jesus Christ is that prophetic voice that God's granted us and given us. Another verse that I'd like you to look at is in 2 Peter. Go ahead and turn in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Here it says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now there's two points I want to make here. First of all, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Many people today are being led astray by prophets. They can't do anything without a prophecy from a prophet. And they can't do anything without some kind of external prophetic word. Some of these prophets and some of these prophecies are through what I call the prophets of our age. They're not even in the church, to be honest with you. These are prophets that are speaking prophetically through the New Age movement. You're being exposed to this constantly as you listen to the mainstream mainstream news media, the propaganda that's being put on our own media in this nation, the propaganda that's being put throughout the world. It's controlled, contrived. And if you listen to it, it begins to prophesy to you. It prophesies your demise. It prophesies whatever the machinations of wicked men are to control the masses, to control people. 
I wish I had a bell. I'd have you do your own research. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, many people are looking for a voice to lead them. And, and the truth of the matter is that we are all likened unto sheep. And sheep are led. Somebody is leading you. Something is leading you. And you may think that you're an independent thinker. But you're listening to somebody to give you those thoughts. Somebody says, well, are you saying we're being brainwashed? I said, yes, you are. You're being brainwashed. Well, isn't that what you're trying to do in the church? Brainwash us? Yes, there's only one difference. I want to brainwash you, but I, at least I know who's washing my brain in church. You see, the Word of God is God's Word for man. It's a more sure word of prophecy. He says, I've given you my word. It's a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Than angels or demons, or aliens. Listen, it's coming. It's coming. There are people that are having alien encounters now, giving them words of prophecy. Come on, just look at your, just look at it. Bonnie, Pastor Bonnie did a great job last week talking about it. But we, we, we're living in perilous times. Even the elect of God will be deceived if we're not careful. So you have to wake up, get out of your stupor, get out of your sleep. He says, I've given you a more sure word of prophecy. That prophecy is the word of God. Jesus and the word are one, we know that. And he says, you do well to take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn, that day star, arises in your hearts. Knowing this, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. Boy, I am so afraid of what's happening in the church today because we have Christians today that are making up their own religion. It's like they have this my Jesus mentality. Well, my Jesus would never hurt anybody. Well, but the Bible says he came to bring the sword, to bring division. Oh, really? I don't believe that. Not my Jesus. He wouldn't, he wouldn't never. We, I just believe in a Jesus that loves everybody. You can do anything you want to and you're going to go to heaven as long as, you as long as you love Jesus. Really? Really? Why don't we read about the Jesus of the Bible? Why don't we begin to let the more sure word of prophecy and let in scripture interpret scripture and let's let the Bible speak for itself. But people are so malnourished today and so limited in their knowledge of the scriptures that they have no idea who Jesus is, what God expects of them, what the word of God says, and they have a few little scriptures that they hang their hats on and they think that that is their God, what they believe. They're deceived. 
See, when we read the Bible, we have to understand that the Old Testament, and Pastor Bonnie mentioned this, that many people today are coming and saying, well, the Old Testament was the old. We live in the new. In fact, some people are even saying that we don't even really need the teachings of Jesus anymore because he was really Old Testament. It's only the teachings of Paul. I'm saying, are you kidding me? The whole Bible speaks of truth. And when we read the Bible, we have to understand that the Old Testament, especially the historical books, which, by the way, are in great question by some, uh, they're looked upon by some sources as something that cannot establish truth. In other words, they can't be part of doctrine. The New Testament word for doctrine is a Greek word. It's D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-I-A, didaskalia, and it simply means teaching. Doctrine is teaching. Sometimes we use this big word, doctrine, the doctrines of the church. Well, the doctrines of the church are the teachings of the church, the teachings. Now, there's three types, or at least three types of teaching most Old Testament historical books contain. First of all, facts concerning the past, historical facts. And the more archaeology that's being done, the more we're finding out that those facts are true. I love what we started out, I think, this year with was the book of Daniel when I started talking about the history, the scope of history that Daniel saw in that book, the eons and the prophetic nature of the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Roman empires. That leads us up to this very day. Secondly, there's the moral and spiritual lessons that we can derive from these things. There are moral and spiritual patterns and principles. Everything that we do is by, it should be by a pattern that we can see in an Old Testament, New Testament, and then dig out the principle and live by the principles. And then third, pictures. There are pictures of New Testament truth in the Old Testament. I heard one person say it this way. The new is in the old contained, but the old is in the new explained. Does that make sense? The new is in the old contained, but the old is in the new explained. We need the whole Bible, folks, if we're going to become what God wants us to be. We need to read the old, the new, the Psalms, the Proverbs, I even believe we should read the cover. It says Holy Bible. The book of Romans, the 15th chapter. Go ahead and open your Bibles. You may as well look at your Bible. If nothing else today, you're going to get an exercise in finding things in the Bible. Romans 15 or verse 4. And I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, when, when were these scriptures written? They were written, the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, 
was read by Jesus. What, 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 what was Paul talking about? He says the scriptures, the Torah, the law were written for our instruction. They were written for our comfort. They were, they were written for a purpose, for our learning, that through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, again, the Apostle Paul is talking about the study of the Old Testament. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the end of the ages have come. And, and he was talking about all the things that happened in the Old Testament are for yours and my example because we're at the end of the age. We need these examples. We need to know what happened to Korah, what happened to Balaam, what happened to uh, uh, Adam and Eve. And we need to know what happened to David and Goliath and all these different stories throughout the Old Testament. And we can apply them to our lives today. They're examples written for our admonition. Now, that's just my foundation because what I want to talk to you today about is this being a prophetic people. I believe that I heard the Lord speak to me about moving his people, moving you and I, this church, from gifting and giftedness to wisdom. As much as I believe in God giving personal giftedness and giftings to people, the emphasis in our world is so much on self that we're missing the nature of what Jesus is trying to do in the earth. We have exalted individualism so much that we forgot about corporicity the corporateness. We have become so Greek in our thinking that we've forgotten that there is a Hebrew understanding and a Hebrew God who sees things holistically, not individualistically. God wants to move us from charisma to Sophia. Charisma is gifting, the gifts. Sophia is wisdom. The definition of charisma is a divine gratuity. Can mean deliverance from danger or passion, especially a spiritual endowment, subjectively religious qualification, or objectively miraculous faculty or free gift. So we had the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement came in the, well, it started really about the 40s, but in the 60s it really came to fruition. It swept through the traditional churches, the denominational churches, and many of us, myself, a Catholic, came into the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charisma, the charismata of the Holy Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit. 
and we began speaking in tongues and we began prophesying and we began all the gifts of the Spirit. But then that gift of the Spirit began to move into different kinds of charisma where we began to celebrate the gifts of people. And we broadened the scope of not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it began to be, this is a gifted person. And we began to exalt stardom, superstar preachers, super apostles, super prophets, super singers, super entertainers. And for a while, it was okay. Because most of them were humble enough to deflect the glory to God. But then it became a business. And then it became, the gift became more important than integrity. The gift became more important than biblical pattern and principle. And many got caught up. And many of us have been caught up in, in, in the whole charismatic thing. And, and, and we began to have a form of godliness that denied the power thereof. definition of the word sophos or, or wisdom is sophos or sophia and it is simply moral, mental or intellectual insight. God wants to move us from a gift which I'm not against gifts by the way. I believe we should have the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. But he's trying to move his body from a gift to an activity demonstrating what he has prophesied and declaring by implementing his dream and implementing his vision in the world through the church, through his church. His vision is not individuals. His vision is the church. Amen. Friday night we had all night prayer or we had uh, our prayer service here. And uh, it was so prophetic. It was so powerful. I was listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I heard it, and it ties into my message this morning. You know, when Solomon ascended to the throne, his father said, Solomon will be my replacement. He was eight years old, and he will be my replacement. And he had great advisors around him, and he listened very carefully. But it was a prophetic voice that was spoken over his life and over the kingdom. And God had prophesied to David that as long as his sons and as long as David would follow his statutes and keep his commandments, there would never be someone from his lineage that would not be on the throne. Of course he was prophesying about Jesus who was going to come and be king forever. But Solomon takes the throne. And there comes a moment in time when Solomon realizes what his calling really is. And God appears to Solomon in 2 Chronicles and more or less gives him a blank check. I don't know what you would ask, I don't know what you would say if God said to you what he said to Solomon. But the question that God says, he says, what shall I give thee? What shall I give thee? And I know we know the Bible, so you all know the right answer. 
But if God really showed up and said, what shall I give thee? I know some of you would sell your soul for a bowl of porridge. Or a tank full of gas. Or a house or a car. Hmm? Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you this morning. But listen to what Solomon answers. In 2 Chronicles, the first chapter, verses 8 through 12, he says, And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David, my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let your promise unto David, my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can judge this thy people that is so great and God said to Solomon because this was in thine heart and thou hast not asked for riches wealth or honor nor for the life of your enemies neither hast you've asked for long life but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had and have been before thee. Neither shall there be any after thee that shall have the like. Man, I read that and I thought, whew, that's amazing. And then if you study Solomon's life, I mean, Solomon is this incredible king. He becomes incredibly wealthy. He immediately goes out and breaks every law that God gave him. Every law. He, uh, he acquires silver and gold. He acquires horses. He acquires wives by the dozens. In fact, a thousand of them. And he compromises everything. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Here's the most evil king in the Bible Solomon's the most evil king. He totally corrupted Israel with his shenanigans. And yet, God, you blessed him because of this request. What was it that made Solomon great? Was it his gifting? Was it his wisdom for himself? No, he was wise enough to lead God's people. But what really made Solomon great? And if you don't understand this, you can't understand your place. He was allowed to build the temple. That's what made him great. He built the temple. Solomon was the one who built the temple. Now, he built it according to the pattern that his father gave him. David had the pattern. David had accumulated most of the wealth. David had everything stored up. David had hired people to do all kinds of things to get ready to build the temple. In fact, David wanted to build the temple. God gave David the pattern. But God said to David, you're not going to build the temple because you're a man of war, a man of blood. You've murdered somebody. 
I think it's important that we understand that Solomon had to build the temple according to a pattern. A pattern comes from a Greek word, or from a Hebrew word, tabnith. It means a structure or a model, a figure, a form, a likeness, a similitude. In the Greek, it comes from a word hupotuposis, H-U-P-O-T-U-P-O-S-I-S. It means under or beneath. It's like a die that is struck to leave an imprint, a model for imitation. Solomon had enough wisdom to build the temple exactly as his father had set the pattern to have it built. It took wisdom to do that. I think of Moses. God gave Moses a pattern. God took him up and had face-to-face contact with Moses on Mount Sinai. And there he gave him a very intricate plan to build the tabernacle for God's presence, including the ark where God would reside. Exodus 35 says this. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Olihab, the son of, son of Ashamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of works as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Look at Exodus 36, verses 1 through 7. So Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come to do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelite had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning and after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work of the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. I'm reading these stories and I'm thinking, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me? Here we see Moses. God gives him a pattern. He gives them a plan. And once they start working on the pattern and the plan that God gives them, There's more than enough. 
They're skilled people. These skills start rising. Things start happening. Everybody's involved. I'm thinking, that's amazing. So then I said, well, God, this is the Old Testament. Is there anything in the New Testament that would relate to this? Pastor Bonnie touched on it last Sunday, if you were here. But in Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21, it says, and the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas. They have to understand, they've had a big fight now in the church. How many of you know that sometimes contention is not bad? Sometimes we need to sharpen each other. We argue, we, we are trying to find the mind of God, we, we, we disagree, we can disagree sharply, it's okay. As long as we don't stay in disagreement. As long as we come to a place that we work things out. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done through the Gentiles, among the Gentiles, through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent or David's tabernacle. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been, now listen to this, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What, what is this all about? The apostles are trying to debate, how do we get these Gentiles to follow Christ? They don't, they're not Jews. But how many of you know that there wasn't a Protestant church? There wasn't a Catholic church back then. There was only the synagogue. So when you became a believer in Jesus, the Messiah, you went to synagogue. And Paul says, hey, listen, get them into synagogue because the truth is being taught, the law is being taught in synagogue for everybody. But what we want them to do is, now that they've come into Christ, just tell them the first thing we want them to do is don't eat any strangled animals, don't drink blood, don't eat food sacrificed to idols, instead abstain from sexual impurity and immorality. And take care of the poor. That's basically what they said. And the rest will be taught in the church. As you go to church, you'll become taught in the scriptures, taught in the law. Is this making sense to anybody? You say, well, where are you going with this? In the New Testament... The Apostle Paul had this revelation about the Gentiles. And he 
goes to Ephesus, which becomes a Gentile church. And listen to what he says in Ephesus chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's now a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, that's a very powerful scripture. What is his insight into the mystery of Christ? Well, what happened in the book of Acts? The restoration of the tabernacle of David. He says, it is not, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We are the heirs of the same promises of Abraham that the Jews are. We are the grafted in branch into the vine. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my offerings, of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Then he reads, he goes on in the next chapter and he says, verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. Did you see that? That you may have power. That you being rooted and established in love may have power. Together with all of the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is he talking about? 
I wish that you could know how wide and how high and how deep and how, well, excuse me. You have to understand that the tabernacle in the Old Testament that Moses built, the temple that Solomon built, the tabernacle of David that David built, God says, I want to restore that. And here's the revelation in the New Testament. And Paul's saying, this is being revealed now that God is now taking, instead of stones and poles and embroidery made with human hands, he's taking people, lively stones, and he's building you together into a tabernacle. And he says, my prayer for the Ephesian churches, for you Ephesians, my prayer for the churches that you would know how high, how wide, how deep, what this pattern looks like that you would build according to the right pattern. And you need wisdom to do this. You need the same wisdom that Solomon had. You need the same wisdom that Moses had that he passed on to Bezalel and Oliab. He says that if you don't get this wisdom, if you don't operate in this level of understanding, he says you cannot become what I've tried to create. I'm trying to put together a church not made with human hands, but by the Spirit of God. I'm trying to build a people that become a place where my glory can inhabit, where you can then partake of all the riches of heaven. You can have everything you need. There'll be a sufficiency for everything. They'll have to say there's too much, too much, no more needed. But what have we done? We have gone exactly the opposite. Instead of joining together and each one supplying what we can and helping each other and each stone being joined where we're supposed to, we have superstar Christians. I'm wealthy while you're poor. I'm a success and let me tell you how to be successful like me. God says, that's not what I want. He says, I'm building a habitation for myself. He says, I'm gathering people together. Now, there'll be some that will have greater measure of success, but one that has greater helps one that has less. We're here to help one another so that there'll be a sufficiency of all things. That's called the church. Your amens are overwhelming me this morning. But see, once you understand what God wants to create, once we get the vision of what God wants to develop, once we get the, the vision of the next big thing, the next big move, what is it? The church. The church becoming what God wants. That's the next big move. Not looking like the world, but looking like the pattern that God set. The tabernacle of David. What was so unique about the tabernacle of David? See, you need to study it. But David's tabernacle, David put up a tent. And he brought the ark of God and put it in that tent. And it was full of dancing. It was full of singing. It was full of worship. He had worshipers. He set up choirs. He set up musicians. Music was a huge part of the tabernacle of David. But it wasn't the temple. And it wasn't the tabernacle of Moses. It was open. You could go before God. It was a type of what you and I have. How many of you know there's no 
partitioned anymore. Today, we have all the trappings. It's the church. We still have a laver. The laver is the word of God. The washing of the water of the word. You can wash all you want to in the word. The laver is as big and as much as you want. There's an altar. We don't sacrifice blood of bulls and goats. We bring ourselves before that altar and say, I, I come before this altar on the basis of the blood of Jesus. Jesus is my sacrifice. There's a holy place. Inside there, there's showbread. The bread. Give us this day our daily bread. There's bread for you every day. The word of God. We should be partaking of daily bread. Bread is only as good as it has to be replaced daily. It has to be replaced daily in your life. There's a candlestick. It has to let not the light go out of my house forever. It's not a physical candlestick. It's the spirit of God. Are you having a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Is there spirit and truth? The word and spirit alive on the inside of you. Because then the prayers can be heard openly before God. Then you can go do your warfare, present your case in the courts of heaven. Your prayers will be heard because you're doing it according to the word and according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, your advocate who's there to help you present your case. Your sins are forgiven. You're washed in the word. You're full of the word. That's the tabernacle of David. Now this begins to make sense. Look at Ephesians 5. He says, see then that you walk, verses 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? To build a temple, to build us together, to join us together. And don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And when it talks about being drunk with wine, yes, it's physical wine. Don't get drunk with wine. But he's also, it, that's, we, we, we sometimes read, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. He says it's righteousness, peace and joy. He says be full of the kingdom. Be full of the, he says put aside these things that dissipate your life. Put aside all the movies and, and, and all the Facebook and, and everything that keeps dissipating the anointing. Dissipating the presence of God. Dissipating you. Get, he says don't get drunk with that stuff. He says don't get caught up in this world. He says that's, people are, are stumbling because of it. He says there's excess what are you doing in excess? I'll tell you what, if you're spending four hours on your Facebook and you're not spending an hour in the Word, you're in trouble. If you're watching television and you know all the sporting scores, but you can't remember one verse of Scripture, we're in trouble. He says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves, speaking to each other, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So first of all, we speak to each other. How do you know if you're a mature Christian? 
because you can speak the word of God to each other. You can speak psalms and hymns, spiritual songs to each other. It says singing. So you're speaking, singing and making melody in your heart. I, I don't know about you, but I know this. When I'm in a good place with God, I can't help but sing. It just bubbles up. I can't help it. You know, I, I love it in my house when my, the people that work for us, when they're happy, they're singing. Nothing tickles my heart more than when I hear two or three different songs going in the house. One in the garden, one in the kitchen, one. I don't know what the words are, because, but there's a song. You know, when you're in the spirit, there's a song in your heart. I don't know about you, I wake up and I have a song in my heart. When I don't have that song in my heart, I have to be careful. Then it says, making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. You see, I know when we're building the church, it's when we can submit ourselves one to another. See, in this church, I want no superheroes. I realize that every joint supplies. Every one of you supplies. I need you. I want you. I want to work with you. I, I want to get to know you. I want us to, I, I don't see myself as the big dog, the big deal. Apostle. The apostle is here. No, 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 no. Listen, I may be apostolic in my function, but I am a father. I am a friend. I am a, a man of God, and I hear, I, I'm here to work with you. Because we're building something. I may even be the master builder right now. God gave me a vision. Can I tell you something? We haven't touched it yet. I'm even afraid to tell you what my vision is. I've told some people and I feel foolish because it hasn't come to pass yet. I almost feel as foolish as when we were trying to build this building. And people were writing in the newspapers, white elephant. What kind of, who would build a big building like that? What a fool. But see, sometimes master builders have a pattern from heaven. But I need the Bezalels and the Olihabs. We need the weavers of, and, and I'm not talking about natural weavers. I'm talking about spiritual weavers. Can we weave ourselves together? Can we become the body of Christ? Just a couple more scriptures and I'll close. Look at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Come on, folks. That's why we keep ourselves holy. That's why we want to be pure. That's why we crucify the flesh, put to death the deeds of darkness. 
so that we can become this temple. That's why we need each other. Help me, my brother. I'm struggling. I need help. I need accountability. Help me, my sister. Some we snatch from the fire. Others we pray them through till we're built up. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 18. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion does light have with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial, the devil? What part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. What, what, is, what is this revelation? What's the mystery? He says, I'm building you into something. He says, I wish you could know the height, the depth, the breadth, the length. He says, because if you knew this, you'd know where you fit. You knew what you're, how you join together. You'd know where you fit in this scheme of things. And there'll be no lack. There'll be no distraction. But why is it that some of those that are supposed to be joined together have joined themselves to idols? Because they don't yet know what God is doing. He says, I'm building my temple. I'm building a habitation for myself. I will inhabit the praises of my people. Look at Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things say is he that is holy and he that is true. He that has the key of David. The what? The key of David. And he openeth and no man shutteth and he shutteth and no man openeth. This is the tabernacle of David. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Now listen, he's building a picture here. He says, I'm building my temple. I'm building you as a temple, the key of David. He says, but let me tell you something. I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. <laughs> you don't think God's got his mind on something? He says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. 
Folks, I don't know if you grasp what I'm trying to say. But you see, this whole series that we're on, the next big move, what does it have to do with? What we're telling you, hey, get involved. Get involved. Why? Because as you get involved, you begin to learn the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length. Only through involvement can you figure out where you fit. Only through involvement can you figure out the part that you're supposed to play in this thing called the church. It's not a physical building. I'm not impressed by physical buildings. God's not impressed by physical buildings. He says, I'm looking for a habitation. My people. I want to bless my people. See, when you get involved, you can go where his gaze is. See, the disciples, he chose 72 of them. He says, come here. And he sent them wherever his gaze was, wherever he was seeing. What, 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 what does he mean by that? Jesus was the master builder. He said, in order for this gospel to spread throughout the whole world, I need to send you out two by two by two by two by two, wherever I'm going to be going. It's no different today. God wants 300 churches from this congregation. By the year 2018, 2018, we have just a little over a year to get 300 churches built and planted. Some of you are behind time. You don't realize that your destiny is tied to your involvement. See, it takes wisdom to build together. It takes wisdom to worship together. It takes wisdom to work together. That doesn't mean there won't be some individuals. Hey, I rejoice today. The Bible says when one rejoices, we all rejoice. But when one suffers, we all suffer. Today we were rejoicing. Not only for our cricket team, but for a member of the church who led the charge. And whose testimony in that sphere should give him influence because of what God's doing in his life. The first African flower arranger, black flower arranger to win a gold medal. Come on, guys. Come on. Our own government would not recognize our Zimbabwe gymnastics team until they come home with a gold medal. Now they are so embarrassed because... What's wrong with us? What, what, wh why are we so proud? No, you just do on your own. So they represent, that we give you permission to represent Zimbabwe, but we won't sanction you. Until you win. You come back with the gold. This is a big deal. Worldwide, Zimbabwe gets gold. We rejoice with you, even though our nation doesn't. We do. What was the fourth person we, huh? Oh, and then our coach. I mean, this is such a high honor. He's, he's in London, England right now, 
God's using this guy. Come on. Oh, we, we think it's just chance. And No, 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 no. Can you see that God is building something? But it's not to the glory of us as individuals. It's to the glory of Christ. May he be glorified in all that we do. And yes, when he exalts one, praise God. The Bible says, humble yourself under the hand of God and he will lift you up. But this humility, this building of his temple, this understanding that, hey, it may be my moment to shine right now. But if I'm being blessed, we all rejoice together. But it may also be my time to weep. And if I'm weeping, it may be your time to weep with me. We're in this together. We're building something by the design of God. So my prayer for you today is that you may know the height, the breadth, the depth, and the width of his love. That you might grasp your place. Where are you in this temple? Where do you fit? What part do you supply to build this great edifice called the church? He says, I'm giving all power to my church, all authority to my church, to the church. Not to the apostle, not to the prophet, but to the church. And yes, there's a few of us that can teach others how to do this. We're called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're gifts to the body of Christ. The charisma are here. The gifts are here. But the gifts shouldn't be exalted. The church should be exalted. The gifts shouldn't be what we, to what we look at. The gift was something given to me. I don't do this because I'm so great. I do this because I'm gifted to do this. The church is what's great. You're what's amazing. Us coming together is the mystery. It's a miracle. While the world is falling apart, while it's going into lawlessness, we're having a mystery of loving each other, becoming what God wanted us to be. I love the fact that I get to be a part of the church. I love the fact that God's doing something with us. In spite of us, not because of us. So today, wherever you're seated, if you say, Pastor, I want to know the height, the breadth, the depth, the length. I want to know my place in this tabernacle. I want to be part of that restoration of the church, the tabernacle of David. I realize I'm a lively stone, and I need to be joined together with other stones around me. If, if, if that's your desire today, you say, man, I, just, I, I want to know my place. God is here. It's him who gives illumination through his spirit. It's him who gives revelation through his word. It's him who answers prayers in his presence. It's him who cleanses us of our sins and allows us to wash ourselves. He's creating a tabernacle for us. He's creating us into a tabernacle called the church. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, I want to find my place. I, I, I want to be part of this thing. I just want you to stand. Say, that's me. I just want to be a part of it. I want to find my spot. I want to know the height, the breadth, the depth. I want a revelation. I need the revelation of where I fit. I want that. See, this is what I love about our church. Look at you. Look at you. It just responds so 
so greatly. Your hearts are such in the right place. I count it a privilege to pastor you. I count it an honor to be a part of this congregation, to be a part of this family. This is amazing. Heavenly Father, I ask you to look down from heaven. Father, these are the lively stones that you're joining together. This is the mystery right here. This is the mystery called the church. Father, each person here says, I want to know the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of your love. I want to know what you're building. I want to know where I fit. What's my part? I will get involved. I'll involve myself in your building. Build me, strengthen me, teach me, correct me, guide me. Let me get connected where I'm supposed to connect. See, I think God will begin to, with this kind of heart, he'll begin to show you. You'll open that app up, all of a sudden you'll say, man, I think missions or children or service or ushering. or It'll be something, but you'll just say, I think I can connect right there. This And God will guide you. It'll just quicken out of you. And from that place, it'll lead to something else, to something else. How many of you know the temple wasn't built in a day? How many of you know the tabernacle wasn't built in a day? How many of you know your life, you are a temple, it's not going to be built in a day. We are a temple and we're not going to be built in a day. It may take us 10 years, 20 years. But one day we're going to look at each other and say, man, I tell you what, I'm glad I'm connected to you. I see God working in you. I'm glad I'm connected to you. Oh, did you see how God worked with us? That was amazing. Take the hand of the person next to you. Go ahead, cross the aisles today. Just cross the aisles. Let's just be one body today. This is the church. Father, connect me where I'm supposed to connect. Say it out loud. Lord, connect me where I'm supposed to connect. With the people I'm supposed to connect to. I repent of being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Of having fellowship with darkness. Of having fellowship with Belial. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for still practicing ancestor worship. But I'm part of the children of light. Release me from my bondages. From my fears. Forgive me for being afraid of man. When I should fear you, Lord. You are building a temple. You said, be separate. Come out from amongst them. I will come out from amongst them. I will be and I will do my part in your church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.